I was, I was, I was a mess, man. I was broken over there. And, um, because I went in, um, as one person and came out a different person, I guess. Um, Hey everyone, it's Luke. That was Chris Bovey, a, uh, dear friend of mine, former art director at the Inlander, current owner of Spokane Vintage Prints and a, uh, fervent believer in Christ, a pastor describing the only way I can really think to describe it is describing his come to Jesus moment, his Saul on the road to Damascus moment, the moment he realized the things he thought he knew about the faith that he has deeply lived for a really long time. A good chunk of the time I've known him was broken, fundamentally flawed. I had always said that ministry was going to be done in the smoking section. And, it's, you know, it sounds um, cliche. It sounds like a, something trendy to say. And and then I was looking around at all the people that I was trained to hate. And um, and then all of a sudden I see a cardboard sign sitting on the side, and it says smoking section. And uh, and that was it. I just lost it. And um and I just sat there and, and bawled on the sidewalk of like this entire group, like everybody here um, who had been pushed to the fringes, um, pushed to the outskirts. This is who Jesus came for, you know. Chris's trip wasn't to Damascus. It was to chop with his friend and now podcast collaborator, Bryce Noose. Bryce had known Chris as a pastor and had actually attended one of his sermons or a couple of his sermons and decided to reach out to Chris after the murder of George Floyd because Bryce was also struggling and thought, if anybody in my sort of faith life knows what this feels like, it might be this guy, Chris. And so in some ways, this episode is kind of a sequel to the conversation I had with Sean Vestal about (laughs) white people having hard conversations with each other about racism and other bigotry in the wake of not the first and certainly not the last uh, murder of a black man in America. And in another really important way, it's a completely new thing for me personally. Um, faith is a topic I've avoided for most of my life and certainly haven't broached yet on range because it's maybe a little too close to home. It deals with some stuff that triggers um, not diagnosed trauma, but shit that feels pretty close to trauma to me. Uh, and so, yeah, I apologize if the levels of this episode are a little weird and wonky. I'm, uh, finding myself having to speak quieter than normal to, uh, stop from crying, even making this introduction because in addition to my own stuff, which we'll talk about in this interview with Chris and Bryce from broken, a new podcast that they started in the wake of, uh, their friendship that grew out of, uh, their own sort of faith journey post George Floyd, uh, it really ties into, I think, both on an uh, emotional but also intellectual level, one of the big projects that I'm thinking about with Range, which is how can we come back together? How can we bridge the gaps that we find in our society, in our culture, in our own personal relationships, for fuck's sake? Sorry, Mom. I've known Chris for years, and I chose, very specifically chose, for reasons you'll find out later, to never talk to him about his faith because of my own struggles with faith. And I'm not proud to say this, but when he reached out to me, the way Bryce reached out to him in June, when all of these feelings were just so raw to talk about this stuff, I almost didn't pick up. I almost didn't return the text that he sent. 
even the thought brings me a, a lot of shame to be completely honest, but we did talk and the way his heart had opened up, uh, was a tremendous relief to me because, well, I'll just quote myself here from the interview, you know, and if, if we want to sort of like change people's minds and change their hearts, like how do you even go about doing that? So, uh, that was part of the relief I was feeling in that day. Um, <clears throat> that throat clearing was me trying not to cry into a microphone. We're staring down the barrel of a nation that is only ever more polarized, it seems. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse, to the point that it feels like there might be a schism. And I'm not trying to be alarmist. It, it just feels like the center cannot hold, to quote an overquoted poem. So to see an example of uh, a coming back together so close to my life with a person who is so close to me was really powerful. And I didn't have anything to do with it, obviously. And I'm not trying to give myself credit for anything. Uh, if anything, it's, it's Chris and Bryce that deserve all the credit for really challenging, like the, probably the most fundamental beliefs they have. Right. And I think you can hear it in Chris's voice and you'll hear it in Bryce's voice later. And Bryce has his own incredible story. I didn't meet him until we recorded this episode, but he's a, a combat veteran who talks very eloquently about the, you know, the intersection between uh, Christian faith and American patriotism and how that played out for him personally as uh, a single individual combat infantryman in a global racialized and religiously charged war on terror. So it's a fascinating conversation and, and it might feel a little bit weird because it's two dudes who know each other very well and two dudes who are just meeting for the first time. But I'm going to do my best to sort of just let the conversation live the way it lived in the moment, I guess. And if it feels like I need to offer a little bit of extra context, I'm going to cut in the way I usually do. But yeah, mostly just want to let three dudes feel their feelings. So, And you know what? Some of those feelings are actually humor, fun, joy, mirth, uh, I think I'm sort of leaning into the tougher emotional aspects of this because just where my head's been at and is at and maybe will always be at with this topic. But it's also pretty fun. Bryce and Chris are fun guys. I think I can be a fun guy at times. And you know, that feels right to me too, to be honest. Um, I think it's appropriate that there's a lot of sort of pain and, and sorrow and emotion on that end. Uh, but it's also, you know, when you become a better and truer and more full version of yourself and when you really confront your shit and deal with it, or at least try to, you know, a baby step at a time. I don't think anybody thinks they're perfect, uh, but that we're all just trying to get a little bit better every day. I think those that times like that, that's a call for joy. It's a cause for celebration. Uh, and so we do a little bit of that, too. One last thing and then we'll get going. I may be able to sneak one final episode in before Christmas, but if, if this were to be the range Christmas episode, it would feel kind of, uh, kind of fitting the way that, uh, the way that our, uh, mass incarceration episode ended up being our, uh, independence day episode. This would feel kind of fitting to me. You know what? Let's do it. A very range Christmas featuring Bryce Noose and Chris Bovey of the broken podcast coming up. I'm Luke Baumgarten, and this is Range. Episode 21. God bless us, everyone. And I mean everyone. (laughs) 
All right. Well, thanks for coming, guys. This is Range, I think, episode 20. Eh, 21, but who's counting? We got Chris Bovey and Bryce Noose of the Broken Podcast. Hello. Howdy. Chris is big timing me on his phone right now. So, uh, <laughs> Dude, I'm looking at the, <laughs> the roadmap here. What are we talking about? So Chris and I have known each other for a very long time. We, we used to work together at the Inlander. He was the art director. He is now, he, in addition to the, the podcast, you do the Spokane Vintage Prints, which I'm sure people know and love. I don't even know how to start this, I guess. So maybe we could just start by, t- you guys tell me a little bit about Broken, the podcast. How did your friend describe it? We are... Unconventional evangelical. No, tackling invisible... Oh, tackling, uh, what is it? Wrestling invisible giants. Elephants. Or elephants, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Elephants. Wrestling invisible elephants. Yeah. Uh, we try to just take on like uh, major, huge topics that uh, no one wants to talk about. Like it, it's at the... On the tip of everyone's tongue, uh, all the churchgoers, uh, all the evangelicals, and uh, try to at least approach them with a grain of salt and uh, a lot of humility and honesty and just uh, and just come to the table and say, you know, we, we don't have it figured out, but let's at least talk about it, you know, so... Do you want to you want to chime in? No, that's pretty good. That's yeah. better than I would have put it. So. In the spirit of humility <laughs> and honesty, this I think this conversation, what, what is now going to be episode 20 of Range, started for me anyways, when... You texted me, Chris, a couple days after George Floyd. And obviously, uh, we all know what happened then. But what was going on with me was I was having starting to have, uh, let's let's say, spirited discussions with people. And not just online. These were real conversations with real people I love. About, you know, Trumpism and stuff like that. My favorite. Love it. And I had just had one of those. And then out of the blue, Chris sends me a text that's like, hey, can I talk to you for a second about George Floyd? <laughs> or something <laughs> that it was something like that. You're like, oh, man. But it, I know. And well, and, go ahead. I mean, you were kind of hesitant and reluctant to uh, talk. Oh, I, I, right. Am well, I, so wrong? This is, I don't want to put words in. No, mouth, you're not right. I, I literally got that text and I, I took a deep breath and I was like, is my relationship <laughs> with Chris Bovey going to irrevocably change? <laughs> right. Because. And this is where I'm just going to, we're going to get oh, maybe a little bit raw here today in general. Like I think of you as like a really close friend. We've worked together for years right. and you didn't hate me, which is amazing and kind of rare. You had a job. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that you had sort of gone on a faith journey at the Inlander and, you know, but we didn't ever really talked about it. I think the, the extent of it was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm starting to be a youth pastor now or something like this. And this was years ago. Right. And that was it because like I, the way that I've sort of come in and out of my sort of relationship with people in the church. Like I came, I grew up in the evangelical church, had a pretty traumatic experience there. And so my, my, the way that I sort of have dealt with it in the past is just by not really talking about it. And when I think that one of my friends might be in the same sort of church (laughs) that I grew up in, I was just like, okay, cool. I'm not going to talk to Chris about this because. And we never had one discussion about faith. I don't think so. Ever. No, 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 not at all. And so when I get this text, I was like, I got a couple of decisions to make here. I'm, I could just like ignore it or pretend like I didn't see it or say I'm really busy or whatever, or I'm going to have to have a conversation. And I don't know Chris's perspective on any of this stuff. And then my biases were sort of kicking in. And I was saying, thinking to myself, like, what if he pulls out like, what's the big deal? You know what I mean? Or, you know, like <laughs> that guy seemed like he was asking for it. And, but again, like that was where I, I was just like, okay, I'm going to take, I was standing up in my attic and I just like took a deep breath. And I think I just gave you a call. And so what, what was on your mind? What, what caused you to reach out to me? And, uh, I don't know what came out of it. I was, 
I don't know, man. Like, uh, we, I was really struggling, as a lot of people were, um, with a whole lot of emotions. And I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know who to talk to, to be honest. Like, I don't know why Luke Baumgarten, out of, like, all the other people in my life, like, there was something about that I wanted to reach out to you and at least talk about. Because I was coming at it from a crazy... Uh, conservative perspective, as a lot of people were. And um, you're on one side of the fence or the other. And just coming at it from a church perspective, from a person of faith, especially as a pastor, to hear the church that you grew up in, that uh, was <laughs> that you were trained in. And in some ways you feel like saved your life. Yeah, right? For you yeah, sure. No, well, not necessarily that church, but faith in general. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. To hear them saying the things that they were saying, or even even worse, I'll be honest, even worse was silence. Um, I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know what to do with those emotions and that feeling of. Um, <laughs> I know that this is wrong. I know what Scripture says, and I know. Uh, and I didn't know what to do with that. So I at least had to reach out to you and start a conversation at least. Like I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know, um, if you're going to tell me to F off or whatever, you know, but, but then, and that led to us meeting that led to us talking. I mean, we talked for a long time on the phone, but well, in that day, I mean, I got to tell you, I can, I don't know if you had the same experience, but I, I cried on the phone that day with, with mostly with, with relief because part and not even just relief that I get to keep my friend Chris, <laughs> but like with relief that like, Oh, there's a, there is a, like a bridge too far for, you know, a, the, a community of people or, and, and there's maybe a way to sort of like cross whatever gaps we have. Cause when I just, I sort of fell out of the church that I grew up in because there was no place for me in it. But it also, it, it feels kind of like an irrevocable chasm. I told you this was going to get emotional. Cue the uh, broken low register Michael Caine voice. But it gets very emotional. But it gets very emotional indeed. And I've been thinking a lot about, and part of the reason this podcast started, let's take faith out of it. Let's also just, you know, we could talk about political traditions. Like, is this becoming an unbridgeable gap or chasm, you know? And if, if we want to sort of like change people's minds and change their hearts, like how do you even go about doing that? So... And to be clear here, I'm not talking necessarily about like the people who have been benefiting from the oppression that we're talking about, or even the people at the heads of these churches. Doesn't seem super likely to me that the people who are benefiting from this sort of rhetoric, whether it's, you know, through the exploitation of capitalism or through the tithe dollars that come in to Joel Osteen. I'm always thinking about the normal people, not the bosses. If that makes sense. Although if Joel Osteen wants to uh, forsake his private jet or if, you know, Jeff Bezos wants to turn Amazon into a worker cooperative, maybe there's salvation for them too. But I'm not going to hold my breath and neither, to be totally honest, did Jesus. Uh, Matthew 19, 24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. If that was true 2,000 years ago, it is billions and billions of times truer today. Uh, that was part of the relief I was feeling in that day. Um, <clears throat> but I also don't want to monopolize all this time. Like, Bryce, what's it been like for you, man? Like, how did you guys, when you guys were starting to think, so then out of this comes Broken, which is a podcast kind of about having tough conversations about the Absolutely. evangelical church. But back up before that. Uh, George Floyd is what brought us together, too. Yeah, but you reached out to me out of the blue. Yeah. I, I had no idea who you were. Right. We, we met once at 
revival. Oh, no, we saw each other twice at revival because I was like, no, we went to the second one. It's the same sermon. <laughs> and a little bit of context. I was doing like pop up church in parks or yeah, around yeah. town, stuff like that. So right. you know, we're like, yeah, man, we're, we're doing this. We're invested. It's like it's the same, same sermon. I was okay with it. <laughs> but we met, we met there. But yeah, um, I reached out to you because, like, at the time, I like I thought that you had a very similar view to mine. Or viewpoint you did have a very similar viewpoint to mine as far as like yeah. the american evangelical experience and then <laughs> i think the first time they actually talked was about like christian anarchism it was <laughs> yeah. yeah and it was a long conversation right that's a story for a different day but <laughs> <laughs> but a relevant one uh and then um yeah we just we we talked about what was going on with george floyd and then I went out to your house for dinner one night and then the next day you went to the chop yeah, with me and Ben. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you two went to chop together. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And our uh, our friend Ben, I just thought that it was extremely uh relevant to what was going on and that kind of history happening that close to where we were at, whether you agreed with it or not, like to be able to go witness it was a big deal. And then yeah, dude, we had some pretty deep conversations on that trip about what was going on and how for me anyway, same thing. I kind of operate or operated for a long time from a very conservative viewpoint. I was combat infantryman, did a couple tours, did that whole thing, partied a little bit too much. And then, you know, honestly, I was, I don't want to say like brainwashed, but indoctrinated. Uh, I thought that I was like doing the Lord's work over there, getting these Muslim bad guys. And, you know, I, I bought into it. I bought into it real hard and then it got to the point where I couldn't resolve that attitude against my faith at all anymore. It just didn't, it wasn't making sense anymore and realized that like I'd operated from a place of fear and from a place of hate for a very long time. And then that's, you know, kind of when we started talking. So we, I didn't know this guy from anyone. And the very next day it's like, do you want to go with me to Seattle? to <laughs> on this road trip like uh jump in my van with a stranger and i was like let's go to capitol hill you know what something has to give because i need to be able to see this for me uh, myself and experience this for myself because i am just uh like in an echo chamber of like conservatism and and i'm surrounded by it and everyone is broadcasting like you know uh seattle's on fire and you know <laughs> yeah. and, and all of a the sudden whole city all of a sudden, like, uh, we get there and it wasn't, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is a tiny Coachella. Anti- yeah, that's kind of anticlimactic. Don't get me wrong. Hey, oops. There were, there were some, um, there were some angry people there. hundred percent. A lot of anger. You got back and you texted me and it, I think it was really tough on you, Chris. It sounded yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when I reached out to you. It was when I got back. Yeah, Wait, yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was before. No, 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 no it was before. before. Okay, okay, you, okay. You're, okay. Like, you're, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. You sent me a text. You said, I'm going to chop. I yeah, was like, yeah. damn, good yeah. on you, man. And yeah. then you yeah. came back yeah. and you, it, it sort of like set you back a little bit because you, you felt like it that, did. that it hate did. was directed at you as or it was directed at yeah. conservative people and you still yeah. felt you were conservative. Yeah, 100%. And while we were over there, like that is. Um, <laughs> Dude, that whole. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's. I was going to dive into that real quick because. Yeah, no, it's okay. Like I'm with it. It was, it was uncomfortable, you know, in the, in a good way. I was, I was, I was a mess, man. I was broken over there. And, um, 
because I went in um, as one person and came out a different person, I guess. Um, it was it was pretty crazy because uh, I was looking around like I had um, like Bryce and Ben were off uh, getting chicken sandwiches or something or, or beer or something. And, and but I was, beer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was walking around and I uh, I was just taking it all in. And then I had um, I had always said that ministry was going to be done in the smoking section. And, it, you know, it sounds um cliche it sounds like uh, something trendy to say and and then i was looking around at all the people that i was trained to hate and um and then all of a sudden i see a cardboard sign sitting on the side and it says smoking section and uh and that was it i just lost it and um and i just sat there and and bawled on the sidewalk of like this entire group, like everybody here, um, who had been pushed to the fringes, um, pushed to the outskirts, this is who Jesus came for, you know, and said that, okay, this group's in, this group's in, this group's in, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and then like, it couldn't have been more fitting. Like we came across like this street preacher, um, over there and he was just, spewing all of this hate and judgment at this crowd and um they weren't taking it well no (laughs) just just for the sake of clarity it was not so we're we're talking about like a fire and brimstone street preacher oh yeah has infiltrated chop this is not a chop friendly he was so he was just out like just outside the perimeter because we were at bok bok chicken we came around the corner and we we had just been talking about like oh man I haven't seen a single God hates fag science to been here. Where are all these guys at? You know? And then you come around the corner like, Oh, and I right there. And yeah. I said his name. <laughs> I was like, Hey, you know, cause we know the guy and he's like, oh, oh, you know, why are you here? Kind of a thing. Cause you know, we're four hours away from home. This is a Spokane street preacher. Yeah. It was over in shop. Wow. Before I forget, he was in front of HOC yesterday too. So we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's uh, it was and, and later he got punched out too. Yeah, right you know, he got, uh, the, he yeah, got his yeah. Take it punched. Yeah. yeah, but uh, off switch. The whole time that we're standing in line to get chicken sandwiches, he's got a megaphone spewing hate. Bryce is over on my right, and there's a guy there, punker dude, and instantly talking to Bryce about uh about this guy, this uh, street preacher. For those that can't see me, I wear a very distinct uniform that uh, allows me to talk to people that wouldn't otherwise probably allow me to get close to a them. permanent uniform on yeah, your arm. <laughs> right. But, uh, but instantly this guy was spewing all this uh, anger back towards the street preacher guy. And, you know, and I get it rightfully so, you know, it's like, I, you know, I understand all of that, but um, Bryce was immediately able to say, Hey, we're not all like that. And instantly this guy's demeanor changed instantly. It was just like, wow, this is, it was the, it was the, Hey man, would it blow your mind right now to know that like I share the faith, I share faith with that guy, you know, looking like that. Like, yeah, dude, you know, but I just paused like, that's wrong. Like what that dude's doing is wrong. We're not, we're not supposed to move with hate. There's no, like, I've never found anything and I've challenged people before. Like, Hey, go find me where it says that. 
Go find me where it says in that book that anybody is called to hate someone. So maybe we could just for a sec, like just a level set for people. Cause it strikes me that we're having a very like uh, evangelical yeah, conversant conversation. Sure. And I don't know how many people who are going to listen to this, like really get it. So like, <laughs> like can you explain yeah. to me <laughs> like, so like what for you guys like, are the, like the fundamental tenets of evangelicalism that separated from other kinds of Christianity or like, what were you guys taught? And then what did, what started feeling wrong to you when that the Floyd stuff started happening? Is exactly what we were talking about on the way here. I became a Christian when I was 18, so was a late bloomer and impressionable. Not, o- not only as a young man, but like as a young Christian, doesn't, didn't really know any better or whatever. And that was definitely what was drilled in was like, you know, one of the declines of Western civilization is homosexuality. That's one of the reasons for it. You know, it's the pillar of why things are going bad. And then you know, abortion and whatever else. Now, these things were abominations to God and anybody that, you know, contributed to them or engaged in them were also, you know, just godless abominations yeah godless sodomites and i that's <laughs> you know for a long time like all right cool well that's what it says because i don't know any i know i didn't know any better to like actually go pick the book up or talk to anybody else and you know see how the other half lived right you know you know as one matures in anything you become a little bit more vested in what you're doing so you you start reading about it hey you know what man i want to be a better golfer i'm gonna pick this book up same idea. Then you go hit some balls. And that's, that's where it all comes to is I was sick of sitting on my hands in a pew and not putting my faith into action and hearing the same thing over and over again. And then George Floyd goes down. Well, first it was, it was coronavirus and then George Floyd and seeing how the church that I was going to reacted to both of those, which spoiler alert, the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> Versus how I thought that I should move as a, as a follower of Christ. And like, you know, eh, the church has been complicit in racism for 400 years and longer than that. You know, as far as the, you know, American experiment goes as a Christian, I, that's not right. I don't think that's right. And I want to do something to like change the immediate assumption that goes along with it, you know? Because as of now, the immediate assumption is you're a Trump supporter. You probably hate your kids. You hate women. Uh, you hate minorities, you know? Yeah. And you're, you know, you're definitely a Republican. Like there's no two ways about that. You know, you're a conservative. There's a reason why that stereotype has become an archetype is because people fill that role. Like a lot of people fill that role. And, um, I didn't want to do it anymore as, as childish and I'm taking my toys and going home kind of idea. Like, but that's, that's what it came to. Like, that's not me. That's not who I'm no. called to be. It's exhausting. It wears on you. Yeah. Imposter's yeah, disease. Imposter's yeah. disease? Yeah. Imposter's disease. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're, I'm sitting in the pew and I'm listening Absolutely. to like this hate and vitriol, Absolutely. not only from the pulpit, but from the parishioners. And you're like, yeah, yeah, man, that's a, uh, mm. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. You know? And it's like, oh, okay, time to go. And we were talking about like just how, um, how God changes over the years. There was a time when God hated interracial marriage here in America. Vehemently. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they were called the Antichrist. You know, like documented. Uh, it's like, and you just keep going through the throughout sign, history. And the then sign, you, like March of the Antichrist. Inter- interracial marriage yeah. is the March of the Antichrist. That's crazy. But just seeing that this weird connection between what is the cultural norm and then where the church stands and how in lockstep those two are. Going back to your question, it, it, like especially growing up in the church, like 
you know, we were talking like you got called fag growing up, right? In a small town. Like yeah. I, it was like an, it was such a nickname. It was like my second most common nickname next to puke. Right. <laughs> it was either yeah. puke or a fag. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying that wasn't in the church necessarily. It might've been, it might've, it was in the th- culture. Th- th- it was in the culture. And then just coincidentally, just randomly out of the blue, God also doesn't like that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's almost as if what God likes and doesn't like is malleable to what's dominant in culture. That's yeah, it, exactly. Because it makes then God more palatable to the people, you know, yeah, that he's exactly. talking to. Right. Exactly. But it also reinforces it as well. Right. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. And that, and that's what I grew up on is the reinforcement It's like, you are spoon fed that you are like, that is part of the doctrine that yeah, is man, it's baked into the cake. Galvanizing. Well, like, so this is my experience was one of the things that kind of broke it for me. And, and I'll admit I was, I'm, t- I'm so young that I barely, I remember these only in fragments. I was young enough that I thought I was going to hell by the time I was like younger than seven because, and this is the weird thing about the church that I went to. I don't think my church was, it's, it was definitely evangelical. It was not as wild, like Pentecostal fire and brimstone as a lot of other evangelical churches. So like there are people with horror stories about their actual pastor, pastor that I don't think I have. Uh, but it was very, it was super charismatic. People were constantly speaking in tongues. Well, and then, and then you would see like some of the same people that were speaking the loudest in tongues, then like gossiping or whatever in the halls, <laughs> you know? And so like, I think kids have a really fine tuned in the liquor store <laughs> sense Wait of a minute. like, yeah, <laughs> like a really finely tuned sense of hypocrisy. And I was like, why is that lady who was speaking in tongues now like talking shit about my mom's friend or whatever? And then like some random missionary, I don't know if your guys' church was like this, but it's like there was this constant circuit of missionaries coming in saying, Hey, I'm trying to convert the heathens in Russia or in China or in, you know, wherever. And one of those guys said something to the effect of, the only unforgivable sin is questioning God's existence. And I was like a precocious six, seven year old kid. I'd, I'd had the thought, like, what if this is all fake? And all of a sudden I felt like I must have been, I must be going to hell and there's nothing I can do. Here's the part of the story I sometimes have to unpack for people who either didn't grow up in the church at all or didn't grow up in like this specific biblical literalist young earth evangelicalism that I did. The idea is that the word of God, the Bible is literal and unerring meaning that what's in the Bible is what is meant to be in the Bible. It was put there by God. It was not put there by man. And it is timeless. It is unalterable. And it is the unalloyed word of God. And one of the first things you learn about God, both in a positive and in a negative way, is that everything God does is intentional and God never makes mistakes. That's in a good or a bad way. So like your mom or dad or somebody would say, hey, This might be hard right now, but God doesn't make mistakes. You might be going through a hard time, but God does not make mistakes, right? So these trials that are put before you are meant to make you stronger. Or there's some reason that we don't know because we're mere mortals that God means for this to be this way for you in your specific life. But then the word of God itself is, you know, it's perfect. And it's been in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God is the first verse of the book of John, one of the gospels, one of the most important books of the New Testament, one of the most important books of the Christian Bible. So like this Bible, this book of laws, this book of the way the world works has been there since the beginning. It has never changed. It's there with God. It is God. And it's through God that you get access to heaven. This is a Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So we are all broken, sinful creatures, and the only path to 
heaven, the only path to you know eternal salvation, redemption is through the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, right? And again, now that I'm a f- nearly forty year old man and I've gotten that good book learning, and I went to you know a Jesuit college, uh, I literally as a 18-year-old man-child in my first religion class at Gonzaga University, I was introduced to the idea of biblical interpretation. The idea that actually these individual books were written by different people at different times to talk to different, you know, Corinthians was for the people of Corinth. Philippians was for the people of what, Philippi? That doesn't sound wrong, but it also doesn't sound right. Anyway. But that wasn't the tradition I grew up in. The tradition I grew up in was that these were all written by God. And if it seems like there are some contradictory segments, that's just because you don't understand the manifest will of God, so you got to pray on it. Or look to your spiritual leader, look to your pastor, look to anybody that sits behind that pulpit, including these random itinerant preachers and missionaries. And it's okay that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. This is one of the cooler parts of Christianity. It's if you repent honestly, then you get to go to heaven. Like no matter how much bad shit you've done throughout your life, if at some point you repent and you, you know, live a better life, commit to righteousness, commit to living morally and justly, then you can be saved. Except this one freaking verse, and I'm going to pull it up, and I'm going to be honest, I don't even know if this is the exact verse he was this person was referencing. This is Matthew 12:31. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So for some reason, again, Matthew, this is gospel, this is Jesus talking, ostensibly. Jesus is like, yeah, talk shit about me if you want to, but never say an ill word about the Holy Ghost. Never. And then this preacher, whoever he was, interpreted that to mean that if you sort of question the spirit, the Holy Ghost, the, you know, God's divine essence, part of the Trinity, then that's the only unforgivable sin. And to this day, I don't know if that is a common interpretation of that biblical verse or not, but as a, you know, six, seven year old kid, however old I was, eight the time in life where you're like forming your moral core, you're thinking very black and white kids that age don't really have the ability to think super abstractly or hold sort of conflicting ideas in their head. It's right or wrong. Who's been raised to believe since, you know, his earliest lessons that the Bible is to be taken literally word for word at all times, that whoever's in front of that pulpit is basically the voice of God in that moment. To hear that person say, there's only one unforgivable sin, and it's this thing you've already done, sorry kid, was absolutely devastating for me. So I want to get back to this. I didn't mean to turn this into a Bible study. I also didn't mean to turn it into a uh, therapy session for me, but like that's what was at stake for me as a child. And it broke me. Second thing, and this was maybe a bigger break for me because it was about my brother who was adopted from Mexico. This guy comes in and again, it's the eighties. Russia's very hot. China's starting to get hot. <laughs> Africa's hot. like in terms of like where people want to go mission, they want to go like convert the godless, godless, yeah. the communists. They want to go, you know, preach to the, the, the damned, uh, the animists in Africa, right? The, the pagans. This guy though was like Central America. 
and he sort of gives his whole spiel and he said, this is like, I'm, I'm using 2020 jargon. He's like, I know it's real cool right now. It's real hip to go to Russia and to China or whatever, but I'm actually, we're doing the real Lord's work. We're, we're going to the darkest continent, Latin America, where it's all Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother's from Mexico. And I was like looking over at this kid who is probably literally like chewing on a hymnal because he's like teething. He's so young. And I'm like, that, this guy hates my brother. And only I get to hate my brother because I used to beat the shit out of my brother. Right. But, no, I only, yeah. you know, Exclusive it was one rights, of those things buddy. where I was like, this whole thing is kind of, and I, I don't, I honestly, it's such a fragment. I don't know how old I was, to be honest, but I wasn't older than like nine or 10. And I was like, this whole thing is built on hate, at least as far as I can tell, at least the people I care about. But then the weird thing was, it's like my, it was very, the community, and I'm talking a lot, so you guys need to break in here at some point, but like. No, please do, because I have to big time you text my mom <laughs> while you're talking. One of the things that I realized was like, we, it was an incredibly internally supportive community that sh yeah. like, ex like shunned everybody who wasn't a part of it. And if you chose to come in and you know, you did the walk of shame and you like gave yourself to God or whatever <laughs> yeah. and you repented in front of everybody, then we could accept you into the community. But they never went out as far as I could tell, they weren't doing like, uh, you know, turkey drive stuff. They weren't doing, and yeah. they certainly weren't doing what you guys have started most, doing. Most churches downtown. don't. Yeah. Like that. Definitely me being critical, but most churches don't. There's well, not, a, you know. <laughs> so as you, so that's level setting where I'm at both for you guys and for the listener. But like, um, what I'm trying to figure out though, as I sort of come back around to where we, what we've been talking about. For, so, and for me, it's, it's as much about like religious folks as just like rural folks, the people I grew up with in Chatteroy. It's like briefly here, if it seems like I am equating rural folks, country folks with religiously conservative Christian folks. I am. And yes, that's kind of an oversimplification, but it's also in my experience true. Um, and I think it's actually probably getting more true the more that our small towns in America are being hollowed out. So while it is on the one hand an oversimplification, it is also true that in my experience living in Chatteroy, there were no real gathering spaces outside of church. And the majority of those churches and maybe all of those churches, but I'll sort of, I'll err on the side of caution and say most church spaces were extremely conservative in my experience, which means that if you wanted to be in community, you needed to be in a conservative Christian community. And if you weren't in a conservative Christian community, there's a pretty good chance you weren't in any community at all. You know, there was a school community, but that's around your kids. What if you don't have kids, right? So rural America is something I really want to start thinking about on this podcast. And this is maybe one sort of wedge into it. But like, how can you create a progressive politics, a left politics in a place where your only gathering places are conservative? And, you know, there's a chicken egg question of are all the churches conservative because all the people are conservative or are all the people conservative because all the churches, all the gathering spaces, all the community spaces are conservative. Some of the biggest labor militancy in America was I think farmers in Kansas in the thirties, right? So rural spaces weren't always, weren't always conservative. They became that way. So what happened and how can we bring it back? It's an impossibly massively huge question, maybe unknowable, but if we want to unlock the fifth congressional district, we got to start thinking about it. Right. All right. Back to it. If we want to build a better world out of this, if we've sort of had a, an experience that's like, this isn't the right way to go. Like, what are we, what's the plan for then like helping bring other people along that journey? I'm glad you asked. No. <laughs> 
we I've got five a five point plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you, you, man, you got it together. Ah, uh, dude, like I um, I didn't come prepared for this at all. <laughs> I struggled with that for a long time, Luke. Like uh, after we had talked, um, it seemed like a mountain. You know what I'm saying? It seemed gigantic. It seemed um, impossible to um, like steer the ship around. You know, uh, this monumental force that. Uh, is hate filled and you know semi political? Is it, it's just uh, more, along, I, I think know? I don't think you need semi in there. <laughs> no, <laughs> mostly yeah. political. It's, maybe it's mostly I'm, political. So Chris sure, and sure, I sure. are really trying to stay passive on a lot of stuff and not totally <laughs> just like get the daggers out. So yeah, sometimes it if it comes across too passive, like yeah, definitely. No, no, well, no. You're, you're no, also. 100%. I mean, this is, and well, this is the thing totally that's so fascinating right. is like because you're still trying to communicate. With yeah. folks in that world. Yeah, right? absolutely. So you can't trying. Yeah. You have to talk. Yeah. 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 Trying. But so uh, there was a point where I was just like, you know, screw it, man. Like there is no way. There is no way. Like most um, most everybody has had your experience, Luke, like uh, growing up in the church. And if they got burned, they walked away from it. You know what I'm saying? Like has flipped a middle finger to it and, and like totally written them off and, uh, you know, put them in a category in their head. And I was almost there. I was almost there of just like this organization that claims to be love and peace and tolerance is exactly the opposite in disguise. And what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do as believers? Do you preach against it? Do you like, uh, Facebook against it? Do you rally against it? What do you do? Like as far as believers and honestly, like Bryce and I came to the same conclusion at the same time of like posting on Facebook. Yeah, that's all we did. <laughs> that's no, no. Much it. <laughs> uh, we just jumped into a different echo chamber. Like that. <laughs> We're going to have to it's um, way more fun over here. <laughs> we're we're going to have to do the hard work like, um, on the ground of one by one of having a actual conversation with yeah. people one on one and actually being the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and, and we're like, like, can I skip ahead to what we're doing now? Or, or yeah, I, yeah, mean, it. I mean, I mean, it's good. Um, we were just, uh, we were done with the church that we were at. Um, kind of like Bryce and, and you're talking about you and your wife, Liz. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And our family, we're just worshiping together and we were actually reading the Bible. Um, I know that sounds strange, but that's all we were doing. We weren't listening to pastors. We weren't being influenced by anyone else. We were just strictly reading the Bible and we're like, man, this is crazy, man. This, uh, <laughs> this guy that, uh, the right wing has hijacked and, uh, has, Claimed used, exclusive rights yeah, cl- to. Yeah, claimed exclusive rights to for many, many years is not what they paint at all. You know, it, it's a guy who stood up for the adulterous woman in, instead of picking up a rock and killing her. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is someone who loved every single person and didn't care where they were coming from. And, um, and I said to Bryce, like, dude, I am... Um, after we had gone to the chop, like we need to go downtown. We need to actually take what we're doing and just go down there and see what happens. And, and the first week we went down there and, <laughs> and to be clear, when you say downtown, you're, you're going over to the house of charity yeah. and, and hanging yeah, out with uh, uh, like Pacific and Brown, the, the yeah. part of town that no one wants to go to, right. you know, uh, <laughs> But for some, but for some reason, boutique businesses keep popping up down there. Uh, I'll say I, I work two blocks from that corner. So. Yeah, you do. Yeah, 
but you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's, uh, it's very visible. It's very obvious. And I said, you know, we just need to go down there. And we were, uh, we were not met with, uh, open arms. No, by the, the, the by the business. Owner. Oh, the no. business. Yeah, owner. Yeah, yeah, really? Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. We had, we were down there maybe an hour and, uh, a cop showed up and then left. And then we figured out that the business owner had called the police department because they thought that we were camping on the right out in and, another and spot. We were just, you know, uh, reading the Bible and we brought some sandwiches and water and, and yeah. fed people. And, and that's it. You know, I, I, there wasn't like, hey, we're going to win a whole bunch of souls or, you know, can, uh, bring a megaphone and be like that dude, a, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's no proselytization. Involved. There was nothing like that. It was just like, you know, we're just going to get out of the house and, and do this. And um I almost gave up after that first week and then I I went went back to that area and just walked around and I noticed a for sale sign on the old castle building and I called the realtor and uh I explained to him everything we were doing and he's like that's pretty crazy because um the building owners are Christian missionaries in the Ukraine and and I was like Russia well, not anymore, but whatever. <laughs> I said, would they be opposed to us coming every single week and just chilling on their sidewalk? And he's like, I am almost positive they would be totally okay with it. So they sent it over to lawyers and we got a contract written up that we had every legal right to be on the sidewalk and just do exactly what we we're doing. And so it just kind of evolved into... Um, you know, we trade off as families to make sandwiches and hand out bottles of water. And if you want to sit down and take a break and we'll read scripture together, if you don't, no big deal, you know, and, and just um, pray. Uh, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of hurt. Absolutely. And I think we can put these people in a compartment or in the back of our mind because we don't know their stories and we don't know the um, the pain behind the eyes or how they actually got there. And so just actually um, being there and hearing them and getting to know them every single week um, changed me, I think you as well. Absolutely. On how um, we view these people, you know what I'm saying? And how we... I uh, I hated homeless people and the, and the addiction. And it's just like, that's a choice. Nobody held a gun to your head to do heroin or whatever. And then after doing this for, well, you know, coming up on a year, being around those folks and talking to them and stuff and like realizing that the 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 one common thread there was trauma and that was never a choice but the trauma always led to some sort of addiction which led to homelessness or house or houselessness i guess is a much better way to put it but yeah like the trauma was never a choice it's like no one ever held a gun to your head to do heroin and you think like man somebody might have actually held a gun to somebody's head at some point you know or, or yeah. beat the shit out of Especially when they women kid, man or, like that's you know i've heard story after story about how good friend of ours has come a couple of times introduce you next time she goes up she was like literally you know strung out on dope and turned out and that's how she got into prostitution you know it's like oh now well now she's a heroin addict so what are you gonna do it's rough sucks that's a big focus for us down there is not not saving anybody or not fixing anything more to the point but doing something to be like one positive point in that person's life for the week you know even if nothing else there was one point in their week where someone said hey man i see you you know you're not garbage like you have worth like we're here for nothing else but to communicate with you eye to eye same level knowing that like whatever's going on inside of me is exactly what's going on inside of them right 
Yeah, we're not any better. Either. Yeah, the outward the outward appearance of whatever we do might be different, but we're no different. And somewhere along that process, like weeks turned into months, and there was still this hole inside of me, at least, of like, we're not really, you know, we're being the hands and feet of Jesus out on the street, but we're not really hitting the, uh, we're not addressing anything as far as like, the community and do you go back to Facebook? Do you do what do you do there? Do you start a church and start preaching sermons and blah blah blah? And then I said to Bryce, like, dude, let's just have start recording conversations. Let's just have like that conversation that we had. If you just record that and put that uh, on air and just put it out there and let's tackle these huge elephants, these huge invisible elephants of like hypocrisy in the church of uh homosexuality like where does that fit in like what else uh what else did we patriotism patriotism that was uh, a big yeah, one that, that was, was good huge. that was a good episode so what i'm hearing you say is you guys sort of were looking at what wasn't working quite yet about this new thing you were doing you looked at yourselves as middle-aged white men and you did the most natural thing in the world which is start a podcast absolutely yeah I, that's what i said to him i'm like dude the <laughs> world is missing more podcasts yeah. <laughs> We need to make another one. But, you know, like, there is nothing natural, honestly. We should do it it in our truck. We should, (laughs) with the front-facing camera on, like. There's just, yeah, just yelling to your iPhone for 15 minutes. I had a couple of friends that were like, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, great. Two two white guys talking. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, she did. She's a little bummed. She's like, really? And then she listened to it. She's like, oh, oh, hold on. You're going to make people angry with that. And. Well, I was just going to say, like, just um, from the few episodes we've done, there's been (laughs) there's been a lot of support, but it's from um, the non-Christians. Yeah. Um, A lot of people resonate. It resonates with a lot of people as far as like, yeah, let's talk about how all Christians are hypocrites. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's have that conversation. I shouldn't say all that's broad brush, but. Like, let's have the hypocrisy inside of the church well, conversation. Importantly, you guys are saying your faith was hypocritical as well. Yeah, at absolutely. Point, right? And that's one of the things that I actually really liked about what you guys are doing. But also it's like it's not that holier than thou vibe, which is honestly one of the one of the more false things about so many of the church environments I've been in where it's like, oh, we're all sinners. Well, I mean, we're the people in the room aren't sinners. We're we're saying right. we're not we aren't sinners anymore. We're really. Good. When we uh, actually stepped back and looked at it as far as like we're going to have these hard conversations and we don't really care who we piss off or uh, what ties we break, people, it started to resonate. People actually started coming to us and saying, hey, can we be a part of what you're doing on Sunday as well? You know, can we come come down and can we meet up? Can we ha- start having conversations? <laughs> because I have a very similar experience. Like I have a lot of the same thoughts and things like that. So at least it has opened a door to those more of those conversations. And and I, that's what I was telling you. Like when we go back to the mountain and we look at this huge uh, impossible thing, it's going to be one on one. It's going to be having hard conversations one at a time and um, at least being honest with each other and saying, you know, I'm not right. I'm no better. I don't have it figured out. You know what I'm saying? Like none of us do. Which is why the current administration Spokane needs to build that low barrier teen shelter. That has to, that has to happen in this city. There's my soapbox for your episode. Luke. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> because why? What are you guys seeing down there? Well, okay. So trauma is the root man. Uh, and you know, you treat the root, not the leaves, you know, by the time the leaves are out, it's too late. So why wouldn't we want to same thing, meet these kids where they live? 
and not fix the problem because that's ambitious, but to at least address the problem while they're young enough and still impressionable and like, Hey, you know what? There is, there is a better way. Not, and I'm not talking faith, you know, faith wise or whatever, but like help these kids out of trouble to begin with. Not when like me, I, you know, I'm 42 years old. I'm very set in my ways at this point. I believe people can change. Don't get me wrong, but I would much rather address my 15 year old's problems when he's 15 instead of him trying to do it when he's 55. Well, you were just talking about how impressionable you were at 18. Right. right? Yeah. You know, uh, and if uh, impressionable in the sense of like providing some sort of positive outlook for these kids or just being some sort of positive thing to plug into, you know, instead of trying to fix it generationally, you know, we have the, we have an opportunity right now in Spokane to make a generational impact with something like this. And we're, and, and there's money for it and we're not, we're and not there's doing money it for it, but we're going to light that money on fire in the name of politics, and kick it off a cliff, you know, randomly when I was still at the Inlander <clears throat> did a couple stories on teen homelessness. And, uh, I don't know how, Maybe it's because my face was always appearing in the paper for ridiculous photo shoots that Chris would send me out on. But um, I was was and where it was back at the old the old Inlander, which was close to the mall. So I was like at the food court one day and this homeless kid comes up to me and he's like, hey, are you Luke Baumgarten? I was like, yeah, what's going on? And he's like, I just want to let you know that, like, I'm kind of a leader in this little community of kids and we just want a home. We just want, we want to feel like there's a place for us somewhere in the world. That's like all any of us really want. And, you know, and and back to the thing you were saying about trauma, it's like whatever leads somebody to leave their home, right? When you're a teenager, that's a huge, I would have never done that. I didn't like going to college, man. Like that was, I don't like doing it now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like, it's got, there's gotta be something so bad going on for you to, you know, it's one thing if it's a homeless family, right? Like that's maybe socioeconomic or whatever. If it's a kid who's just like, I'm not going to live here anymore. I'm going to go live in the open because whatever's going on at home is so bad. Like that's. Yeah. But bringing it back to and what Allie you were saying. is better. Yeah. Right. Than what's going on at home. Bring it back to what you were saying. Like how much trauma did you experience within the church? And it caused you to leave home. It caused you to leave the church. You know what I'm you, saying? Yeah. Metaphorically. Yeah. And, well, and, and I got to say that like, if I, if there was a path back for me, it will be through the, through the actions or through the, the, uh, yeah, through the actions of my parents, basically like there it's, it's the weirdest thing in the world to me is like, despite what came from the pulpit, they're the kindest people I've ever known in my life. And they're, and in a lot of ways, like the, whatever weird way I've constructed my life has been sort of to try to approach the level of like, you know, kindness, generosity, compassion, they just naturally have. Right. So that's the only thing that's probably stopped me from blowing it all up and being just like a complete asshole to everybody who believes anything about anything. There's just like, it's, it's, it's wild how powerful a pulpit is especially pulling some Orwell shit, like literally saying the opposite of what the actual book says and getting people to believe it. That's extremely prevalent. Like that's very prevalent. And you, and you get away with it because no one reads it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, no one's picking that thing up. The I, day after. Again, I'm pointing at myself. Like yeah. I wasn't reading it. Like I was taking their word for it. I was taking, you know, dude, this guy's been a seminary. You know what I'm saying? Like, he knows that he's, he's talking about. To, you know, he's, he's been to Jesus blah, blah, blah. College. He yeah. knows all of it. <laughs> and it's not just evangelicals, right? Like, Mass was given in Latin in the Catholic Church until, like, the Valid, 60s, right? right. 67. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's always been this idea of whatever the... Was he actually... Like, nobody spoke Latin, so what was he really was saying? Was, yeah. yeah. Or there's a tendency in in any sort of organized church setting that, you know, as far as I can tell, to, like, 
put a person in between the parishioners and God. Yeah. And that's and what then Jesus that person, came to And destroy. that person basically yeah. becomes the intercessor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's it exactly. And he's the mouthpiece for God, you know. And you believe him. You, you trust him, you know. And you deify him. You put him on a pedestal. Yeah, you know, up like, on the pedestal too. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden if it comes out that your pastor has been sleeping around or something like that, you know, there goes the church. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. I, you know, I always tell Bryce, like, what would a broken church look like where we, even the pastor was uh, honest and came to the table with um, their baggage and their garbage. You know what I'm saying? And for a pastor, that's the fastest way to leave the church because you're going to get fired. <laughs> right. Yeah. hundred like, percent. Yeah. Hey, like, man, because they're perfect. I have a problem you know? with they're porn. Uh, see ya. Out of there. Yep. You know. You were when, way too transparent. When every single guy in the entire church has a problem with porn, you know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? It's like, let's be honest and come to the table and say, yeah. okay, let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. What do we do? You know, but we won't. That's, and so, we won't. yeah, right. we won't. And so we started doing, you know, we started doing it via podcasts and having very uncomfortable conversations, you know? And so for you guys, broken is kind of a good, it's kind of a positive word. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's a very positive word. We should all be broken. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I'm at least admitting that I am broken. We're of the mindset that uh, if I had 10,000 years on this planet, I'd still I wouldn't get it right. So what what you're trying to do is just get a little bit better every day. Right, exactly. It's like, let's make, let's make better mistakes tomorrow. I know that sounds like, uh, that sounds harsh, like, like, uh, if, like I'm so feeble minded or whatever, or like some feeble human that I wouldn't get it done and. 10,000 years, but like I found a lot of comfort in that knowing like, it's like, Oh, it's okay to be this way because you're never going to get it right. And that's just how it is. Right. None of us have all the answers. Yeah. yeah. And anybody that says they do is lying, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we preface every episode at that. We preface every episode with, we don't have, we have no idea what we're talking about. No. And then I give a junior hockey update. And we, <laughs> let me go from there. Yeah. The junior hockey update right now is kind of boring because there's no junior hockey going on. So, so I, I guess then let's, let's come back to maybe before we wrap it up, what I heard you saying was people are coming to you. People are finding the podcast there and they're asking to come down on Sunday, but they're not believers. No. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yes. The only person in my life that has said, Hey man, I really want to come down there and do that. And then showed up is my friend, Chris Johnson, not a believer. You know, we don't share the same faith. But it's crazy because this guy has one of the most Christ-like attitudes of anybody I know. Same thing with the podcast. So then what, like, so if, we're, if what we're saying is we need, because here's the thing, like, and this is the thing that has been on my mind so much, both, both in like the, the rural community I grew up in that I kind of, I felt like I had to run away from, right? So there was, it wasn't just church trauma I had. I got bullied like a motherfucker as a kid. I think my mom listens to this now. Uh, she told me I swear too much. So I'm trying to not swear as much, but I just swear. You said swear. the F telling her. Uh, I'll bleep that out. Um, I got bullied really bad in the community as well. And I like ran away. Right. And, and it's what I had to do, but I do, there is a, like a little bit of residual guilt because like, I don't, I feel like I should have been able, or I should still present tense or in future tense, like be able to go back and, and sort of help people like me find a, a bit of home in a place that never felt like home to me. Um, 
Because again, like with the people, and I'm not thinking necessarily about the people behind the pulpit, but in the pews, right? How many people like me were, you know, just like, oh, I guess this doesn't seem right to me either, but uh, this is what the, the stand in for God at the, at the lectern is yeah. telling me. So I guess I have to, if I want to be part of this community, this is very much how I felt. I just chose to not engage with the community anymore, even though I was, you know, I still went to church until I was like probably mid high school, but I'd like checked out literally just go glassy eyed every Sunday morning. I do the same thing. <laughs> still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, still. So, so it's like, is there a path or, or what do you, what are your hopes for those folks? Right. The people who are still in the churches you've left, like what's your hope for them? Or is there one at this point? We were, yeah, we were talking about that. It's, it's a great question, man, because <laughs> I don't know about for Bryce, but for me, like I would hope that, uh, it would start a conversation with them. Uh, uh, like, I would hope that they would at least give the podcast a chance, which, to my knowledge, like, none of them have. You're talking about that exact same idea of going back to your hometown and, like, trying to talk to these people and have a conversation, open a door. And, like, it's been crickets from that side in yeah. my life. I, I think, like you were talking about, like, as soon <laughs> I just get messages like, what? You've been radicalized. <laughs> people wanting to know, people wanting to know like didn't, why I was radicalized. Didn't someone in your old church like stop you on the side of the street? And yeah, like, we're like really, they're really worried that like I've. You've, you've strained from the flock. Uh, so I might have used some language that excites on Facebook and uh, <laughs> <laughs> said some fairly incendiary things and uh, people really took it weird and are were like worried about me that I'd become, you know, legit like radicalized, like legitimately radicalized. Um, not true to a certain extent, you know, like, I mean, I guess it depends on what your, your definition exactly, of radical yeah, like, is. I don't, I don't think I'm a, I don't think I'm a radical, but like death of George Floyd may be an activist. Like I'll be hundred percent honest about that. And it, <laughs> it wasn't even so much the death of George Floyd. It was my congregation's response to it. And, you know, and then same thing, like wrapped up in coronavirus and like oppression. They kept, you know, I kept hearing words like oppression coming out of that camp and it pissed me off because uh, I spent a year and a half in Iraq and I'm not trying to like to the combat vet, but it's like, buddy, I've seen oppression. I was in Kurdistan. Like I saw uh, the remnants of like the atrocities in Halabja. That's oppression. Bryce is talking about the chemical weapons attacks that uh, Saddam Hussein unleashed on the uh, Kurdish people, the rebels of Halabja in 1988. Uh, after Ronald Reagan took Iraq off of the uh, terrorism watch list and a bunch of Western nations, and not even Western nations, Eastern nations, Singapore, West Germany, sold them chemical weapons precursors. Halabja was actually used as one of the uh, justifications or proofs that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, which of course we now know he didn't, but nonetheless, a horrific war crime that was enabled by U.S. foreign policy in 1988 then became a justification for a foreign intervention that the U.S. really, really wanted to do in 2003, paving the way for the forever war we still find ourselves in in the Middle East. You know, seeing what uh, the Ba'ath Party does to Kurds or did to Kurds when we turned our back on, you know, Kurdish Syrians, that's oppression. Not, I got to wear this mask. And then... You know, the next the next hot button issue was he should have just complied. So he deserved to die over a counterfeit bill that we'll never know if he actually knew he had it. I don't know. To answer your question, like we're trying. We're trying really, really hard to go back to your hometown, to go back to the hometown, so to speak, and reach out to them and say, 
at least let's talk. Let's sit down and let's actually talk. You know what I'm saying? Like for some reason, once you're excommunicated, you're uh, you're apostate. As soon as you stop, like he was talking about, you stop marching in lockstep with the talking points, like all of a sudden, and you actually start <laughs> reading scripture and quoting scripture, and it says, "Hey, wait a second, we should love each other." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Immediately, like, uh, like uh, immediately, I think you're just uh, unfriended by a whole bunch of people. You know what I'm saying? It's and dude, it's been tough. It has, like, no joke. I don't hinge my entire life on social media, but it is wild to watch my friends list. Yeah. go down like rats fleeing a sinking ship. And the only thing I'm trying to convey is just like, I think we might've gotten it wrong. So you don't think it's that you're posting too much about junior hockey? No, no. People are already annoyed by that. That's yeah. So they stuck around. They stuck. Yeah. It's hilarious. Nobody ever comments or likes any of the junior hockey stuff. But the second I say like, you know what, man, uh, our organization would never turn trans people away. <gasps> oh, well, you know, or whatever, you know, however you want to chop that up, like whatever you want to in- inject into, you know, what's normal air quotes for a Christian to do. It's like, ah, oh, we don't, we don't talk to people that look different from us. Yeah. The second you start doing that operating on super basic tenants, fundamentals, but not fundamentalism. I find myself, um, after this, after this kind of eye opening experience of hating one group of people to hating another group of people. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but like, yeah. a, a, as far as like, uh, that's our new challenge that we're, that we're trying to outrun. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Like, uh, going back to when we're like hating the person you used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it exactly. And Bleak hating conservatives, that, man. Like, right? Wait, no, screw all the Trumpers and blah blah blah. It's like that's easy. That's extremely easy. Like when I was in Seattle and I saw and I was telling you this, like the amount of hate that was going towards Seattle and the amount of hate coming out of Seattle. And I get it. I understand. It. I totally get it. Um, and I've been trying to really, really struggle with loving those people as well. Loving. Loving the people that hate, uh, loving the right wing, loving conservatives and loving that like they're humans. And and sure, I disagree with their politics. Let's at least talk. Let's come to the table and at least uh, coexist together. You know what I'm saying? But, to a certain extent. If you're a racist or a homophobe, you're, I'm, I'm not going to talk to you the same way. The way I approach a lot of it now is I will not argue with people that John Brown would have shot. And yeah, that's, there's, there's, there's little radical, there's some radicalized views there, but I really feel that way. It's just like, I would rather not waste my breath. I would rather, um, I'd rather have, I'd rather have a conversation and listen to, you know, if you were a, you know, hard right conservative, I would rather listen to you to try and understand than try and listen to you to reply at this point where there was a lot of righteous indignation that came with kind of turning off conservative ideology and just hating people that still kind of prescribed to that. Now it's more of, you know, how, how do I, how do we move from a place of love in all, in all facets of it? You know, uh, I don't have to like you. I have to love you and treat you with dignity and respect regardless of views, but I'm not going to go out of my way. If you're have a rebel flag on your truck and put it that way. So this is the question I kind of ask everybody what's in this, in this journey you've been on and that What's what gives you guys hope? Honestly, like the non-believers, and not in a sense of like, well, maybe they're going to become Christians. No, no, nothing. Not at all. Uh, yeah, not like that at all. More of an idea of like, hey, they're listening to what we have to say. 
It is much different than what you're going to get from about 90% of the church corporately. Yeah. Uh, and so that was a big part of the podcast thing too. It's just kind of trying to change the dynamic with that. It's like, we're not all zealots. We don't all hate everybody. Like as a believer, I don't think that it should be a political thing. You know, it shouldn't like empathy and compassion and stuff like that shouldn't have some sort of partisan attachment to it. It should just be what you do as a decent human being. Yeah. So I wouldn't even use the label non-believers. The people responding to this and saying, right. you know what? Don't have the same faith as us. Yeah. Don't have the same you know, faith as not us. Not non-believers. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Uh, and people coming down and saying, yes, like I, I fully a hundred percent support love and justice and equality and everything you guys are trying to do. I'm not a Christian and I don't agree with your faith, but I'm going to serve alongside of you. And like, awesome. Fantastic. That gives me hope. That's incredible. Like if we can have more of that, like, you know, uh, we invited the globe to serve alongside of us. Uh, home, uh, a whole, <laughs> after, whole, whole we, after we had a ministry staff meeting there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and they seem responsive. Like we, we want to be able to have those, um, those kind of, uh, moments where we're able to, you know, share in humanity together and say, you know what, we're all in this together. And, um, like I said, we're all jacked up, you know, and no one's got it figured out. So that gives me a lot of hope, man, because it makes the mountain, um, smaller. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm never going to try and f change someone's mind by what I say. No, that's what you're talking it's about. The echo chamber dude. thing. Like how do you keep from going from one echo chamber to another? It's like you stop talking. And you start living out your life in a way that you think it should be lived and show people instead of telling people what you think. I don't post, I don't post about what we do downtown. I don't take pictures of it. I don't share stories on the internet. If people ask me about what I'm doing, I'll tell them, you know, and, you know, and I've offered it up to a few people like what we're doing, but as a general rule, I'm not, I don't want you to read about it. I want you to come and see it yeah, yeah, yeah. and participate yeah. in it. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, and to keep the motivation, not like at least I'm, at least I'm not that guy. So what about you? Is it same thing with you for the hope or absolutely. What, what gives you hope? Yeah. I have a, like a, a very close friend who's pagan, you know, that's what he's identifies as he listens every week. You know, you, you can, you know, beating a dead horse, but you can, you, you don't have to operate from a place of fear. You don't have to move from a place of fear and allow that to be the default. Cause it leads to hate man. And you know, the hate and I just, I can't, I don't know. It's hard to explain now after, after like going to the first protest here in Spokane, like that, that changed me big time too. Not that I was anti black lives matter or whatever, but like to go down there and real, like see how diverse the speaking group was there. I'm like, all right. Okay. Yeah. This makes a lot of sense. That get, that gives me massive hope. 15,000 people in Spokane showed up. That's huge. You know, especially here. The fundamentals without fundamentalism thing. That gives me hope being able to talk to people about it. You know, just be like, okay, yeah, there's three basic tenets that I try and use. Uh, is it uh, is it honoring the greatest commandment? Love your neighbors. God first loved you. Is it helping to build the kingdom positively? Am, am I a jerk for Jesus? You know? Like, uh, am I, am I sharing my faith in a loving way? And then, um, I don't even remember what the third one does was. Yeah. Does it glorify God? That's it. Does it, you know, does it, is it honoring my faith? 
And that's, that's it. It's just, it's super basic stuff. Very, and it's just the, it's just grassroots ministry, serving <laughs> on the mountain ministry. And it's, uh, it's directed at us. You know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. It's it, a big mirror. It, you know, it should never, ever be outward. It should never be pointed at someone else. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think that's where we get wrong and where we've gone wrong over the years. What I believe you should also believe colonize them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, that's a big, that's another, that's a big part of our ministry, man. Is just like decolonizing. This is for me. You know what I'm saying? Like this is my walk. So that's intense, man. This has been a really good conversation. Thank you guys so much for being here. For sure. This place is so much nicer than what we have. Yeah. Speak studios. <laughs> yeah. Speak studios. Shout out. Uh, although your setup was pretty legit. I like, you got like a whole audio thing going on. Looks yeah. Like. yeah. Yeah. We got a, we got a mixing board. It's pretty <laughs> rad. Can't ever get the hum out of it, but whatever. It's fine. I got to plug it in upstairs cause there's no it's- GFIs in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris Bovey, Bryce Noose, right? Bryce Noose, okay. yeah. Uh, of the Broken Podcast and of a uh, an unnamed, untalked about uh, ministry on at Brown and uh, twelve West Pacific, twelve West Pacific, Sunday 11, mornings, eleven a.m. Sunday mornings. If anybody wants to come down there, uh, not even to serve. Uh, it's getting cold, man. You guys got blankets or coats yeah. or uh, um, oh, just yeah, coming down with stuff to give people. Yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. If, and maybe if there's somebody that kind of feels like you guys do, but are still in, in that church situation that we've been talking about, listen to the podcast. Absolutely. Or come down on Sunday. Start with the first one. First one. Yeah. Okay. If so you, you want to listen to the broken podcast, definitely listen to it in order. In order. Okay. Yeah. Or come down on Sunday. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, either way. There's been, there's been people that just show up and we just put them in work and, and they start yep. serving and it's awesome. Yeah. It's cool. Thank you guys so much. For yeah, thanks, on. man. Yeah. See ya. Thanks again so much to Bryce and Chris for coming on the show. Uh, if you want to hear more of that special sauce, uh, you can listen to the Broken Podcast. I'll provide a link to it in the show notes. Uh, you can also head down to the corner of Pacific and Stevens. No, that's not right. Pacific and something. Just a sec. Pacific and Division. If you want to go just feed some hungry people and definitely not proselytize or try to fix them or convert them to any particular religion, you just want to go help people, head down there on Sundays. Now, near the end there, when you heard Bryce and Chris exclaim what a wonderful and beautiful studio we had just recorded in, no one from Speak Studios had paid them to say that. It's just a really, really nice, really safe, really clean, really easy to reach place where if you have a podcast or you want to start a podcast, you can do that. So check out Speak Studios. They help us record this, the, at least the interview portions of these episodes, and they're really great. We appreciate them. Okay, now lastly, for those of you who took pleasure in hearing me cry, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, another good way to get and then keep me emotional on the edge of tears at all times with gratitude this time would be for you to go over to rangemedia.co and become a member of this awesome podcast so that we can build a sustainable model, a sustainable community for progressive news and analysis for the Inland Northwest specifically. That's what we're working on here. And as fun as the podcast is, as cool as the newsletter is, I would like to be able to expand that into a more full-fledged news operation as soon as humanly possible. That means hiring freelancers, eventually hiring staffers. It means hiring people with technical capabilities to uh, produce these things more efficiently than I currently do with my two meat fists. Ham fists, ham hawks. Also hire somebody that has a command of the English language, because that's clearly not me. (laughs) Uh, I think it's time to wrap this one up. Have a good week, everyone. Merry holidays. (laughs) 
tell you that I am the ghost of Christmas present? You did, yeah. Come in and know me better, man. You're a little absent-minded spirit. No, I'm a large absent-minded spirit. <laughs>